This week on Missions Today. The secular world scares me, but I'll tell you what scares me more are churches that just pursue comfort and inspiration at the expense of mission. And I think now more than ever, we need churches that don't just pretend and hijack missional language, but actually are growing in their engagement, mobilization, and generosity. Engagement, mobilization, and generosity. Those are three markers that identify a mission-focused church. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. This week, we're reaching into the area of relationships between the local church and local faith-based nonprofits. Truth is, sometimes there's no relationship at all. Other times, just a relationship of mutual existence. But think about the power of full support, cooperation, and coordination between the local church and these local ministries helping people day in and day out. Well, that's the mission of this week's guest. Scott Harris serves as Vice President of Church and Global Engagement for Mission Increase, an organization committed to helping the local church and local ministries engage more deeply and effectively. Whether you're plugged into a local church or a local charity or both, I believe through today's show, you'll see the power that could come if this mission was executed in your area. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining me on Missions today. Tell me a bit about Mission Increase. So Mission Increase has been around since the late 90s. And our founders, a couple of just godly people who were very generous, they discovered that nonprofits are just like churches and people. Some are healthier than others. And so they had a vision. Let's not only give finances. What if we provided training and coaching at no charge to the ministry? Then as these nonprofits implement the training principles, they qualify for grant money. So it's grown over the years, and we are now a network of over 3,000 faith-based nonprofits who get free teaching, coaching, and consulting in topics such as biblical fundraising, strategic planning, board governance, effective disciple-making, and all of this is at no charge to the ministry. That's awesome. And we're going to get back to Mission Increase and specifically some of the work you're doing today. But I want to go back and pick up on your story first. I noticed in uh, learning a bit about you that both you and your wife are MKs, missionary kids. Tell me a little bit about that. That's right. So basically, Colin, what that means is we tell our two children that they've got double the issues since <laughs> both of their parents are very confused missionary kids, right? So so when I was six, my parents became missionaries, and I spent a lot of my childhood years in Barbados in the Caribbean. My wife, her parents were 36 years in Taiwan. So she was actually born in Taiwan to missionary parents. In fact, I always joke that if she ever gets a tattoo, it'll be made in Taiwan on the back of her neck. Uh, so anyway, so she spent a total of 30 years in Taiwan, Hong Kong, mainland China. And then I went to Hong Kong as a single missionary. And uh, that's where Beth, my wife and I, that's where we met. That's incredible. I love to hear, and, and even the research proves it out, that young people that are around missionaries or close to missions organizations often find themselves involved in missions later in life. And it sounds like that is very much the pattern with you as well. Yeah, that was certainly our experience. And there's probably many reasons for that. 
One is, you know, introduced to different cultures at an early age, your conception of God is that much bigger, right? That that just like no one person can capture everything that God is, except Jesus, of course, no one culture can capture all that God is. And so life requires all different cultures to reflect all that God is. So folks like my wife and I, we just are at home being different. T- tell me a little bit about your faith journey. Uh, this is something, obviously, also that can kind of go two directions. I know there are missionary kids raised in those settings who just say, I want to go the total opposite of what my parents did and were. Uh, you've kind of gone in the footsteps of your parents. Talk about your faith journey. How did you find Christ? Colin, that's a great point. Not every missionary kid experience, not every pastor kid's experience right is the same. But for both my wife and I, we grew up watching our parents, loving people who looked just like them, but also loving people who looked very different from them. And we were both drawn to that. But for me, even before we moved to the Caribbean, I remember my mom putting up a map of America in the hallway outside my room because I was getting bored with Bible stories. And so we would play map at night. And before I was five years old, I knew all the states and their capitals. We would play map at night. And then my mom graduated from the map of the United States, and she put a map of the world up in that hallway. And I have these memories of reading Bible stories and playing map. And my mom in later years said, I always wondered what God was going to do with this weird kid who loved the Bible and loved maps. So in some ways, it kind of came together. I became a Christian when I was five. Later on as a high schooler, I I sort of doubted my faith. Could I have made a genuine decision that young? I came to the conclusion that I did. As as little as I knew, I understood enough to know that I was created to have a relationship with God. Sin broke that relationship, and only through Jesus was a reconciliation possible. Baptized when I was seven, and then relatively straightforward. I grew in my faith with some teenage questioning. And um, when I was 14, surrendered to a call to full-time ministry. God has been so faithful every step of the way. That's an incredibly powerful story, and love the fact that this is something that was on your heart early on. I want to go to a time when you were with a church in the Tennessee area. You live in Nashville now. You were with Brentwood Baptist Church in Tennessee for 18 years and spent a good portion of that time as the missions minister. Uh, This is something I love to talk about on missions today because I think it's so important as the connecting point between the local church and so many wonderful mission opportunities and organizations around the world. Give me just a sense of what being in that position of the local church is like and maybe how it changed from when you began to the latter days of your time and service in that area. Yes, well, I am so grateful for my 18 years at Brentwood Baptist. We're still members of Brentwood Baptist Church. So we moved to Nashville from Hong Kong, where we had been serving. I grew up Southern Baptist, but I'm not from the South. So I had always orbited the South, but had never served at a church in the South, much less a large church. And I remember when I first went thinking, 
I don't know if I fit, but fell in love with the people, fell in love with the opportunity. And so early on, my dad helped me articulate some guiding principles. So how do I be an effective bridge between the local church and the larger world? So number one, how do I motivate but not alienate? You know, a lot of missionaries struggle with the North American church. They're ambivalent. On the one hand, this is the church that has nurtured me. This is the church that introduced me to the world and and its needs. And yet we struggle because why doesn't the church in North America, why isn't it more passionate about the world? And so, you know, you find yourself in this prophetic role, but if you're not careful, you can burn a lot of bridges. So how do you motivate but not alienate? How do you make sure that you're telling true, authentic, compelling stories that will bring people along, not shame them into being involved, but will motivate them in positive ways? So that was a constant challenge, but God did some great things. And, and you know, people today, I don't know, Colin, what you would say, but a lot of Christians today, are afraid and angry. You know, that's just not a good look for God's people. And I've always found that missions, it's more than just an antidote to fear and anger, but it is an antidote to fear and anger. When we start leaning in and getting invested and engaged in God's incredible work around the world, confidence and hope in God and his mission increase. Fear, cynicism, doubt decrease, and God's people are marked by some joy and some power. So I always found that when I could bring to a local congregation the incredible stories of what God was doing around the world, which includes around the corner, local and global, it just brought people to life, and it helped them live better as we were mobilized to reach others. So I love the local North American church with all of its warts and faults, but man, together, under God's grace, some incredible things can happen. If if I might, let me dig into that just a little more about engaging the local church, because uh, my experience in visiting a lot of churches, you'll find churches that, you know, one version may be, we have a missions budget. You don't really ever hear much about it, but we want you to give. Maybe it's one time a year, multiple times a year, but we've got this missions budget. We're doing missions. You hear other churches who almost never talk about missions. You hear other churches today, the church I'm involved with right now, they're bringing in people who they partner with. You're seeing videos. You're you're seeing the engagement around the world. So there are people probably listening today whose churches are at any or all of those levels. For somebody who's looking for a church that is active and caring about missions, maybe a word of encouragement to them of what to look for. Oh, yes. Yeah, Colin, that, you know, that is a great word. And I think that there's always been this dynamic that, you know, not all churches are the same and not all pastors are the same. And I think that in our post-pandemic world, COVID accelerated and exposed some fissures in the North American church. And I would say to any Christian, when you're looking for a, for a church, you may be called to a church that is not particularly missional. 
embrace that difficult assignment because maybe you're there to help make it more missional. Or maybe you're going to be called to a church that already is, and you're called to add gasoline to that pre-existing fire, right? People who are passionate about missions are needed in all of those churches. So I would just encourage folks, if you're looking for a church, to be thinking, does this church have some area to grow? And am, am I being called to help advance it? Or do I need to go to a church that's already there and I can help take it further? Don't assume that just because the church that you're at or the church that you're contemplating isn't missions-minded, that that means you're not supposed to go there. We need prophetic voices in all of these churches. But when gauging the health of a church, I would also say not every church is as healthy as every other church. You know, people always say, well, no church is perfect, and that's true. But there are degrees of health. And I would say one of the key features of a healthy church is a church that is known to be generous, externally focused. You know, Colin, I think every Christian and every church is faced with an existential question daily. Is my faith, whether individually or corporately as a body, do we pursue comfort and inspiration primarily, or do we pursue equipping and sending? Now, if our primary motive is comfort and inspiration, rarely do we get to robust equipping and sending. But if our goal is equipping and sending, the comfort and the inspiration will follow naturally. And I really think the North American church, individually, these churches, are faced with this existential crisis. You know, the secular world scares me, but I'll tell you what scares me more are churches that just pursue comfort and inspiration at the expense of mission. And I think now more than ever, we need churches that don't just pretend and hijack missional language, but actually are growing in their engagement, mobilization, and generosity. What do you think personally is the biggest lesson you learned while being a missions minister? You know, I would say that one of the key lessons I learned is the reflexive assignment of missions in the local church. Here's what I mean by reflexive assignment. You know, we tend to think that the purpose of missions is to take the gospel where it's not been preached, and that is true. But, you know, there is a reflexive assignment that as we take the gospel where it's never been, we must take others on that journey with us. So I would say to our missionaries that we would send out from our church, you have a dual calling. You have a call to take the gospel to places where it is weak or where it's never been. But your subsequent call is to take us with you. And you know, a lot of missionaries struggle with that because they're all about the mission, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But they struggle with how do I bring the North American church along with me? So I think one of the key things I learned as a local missions pastor was how do we make sure that as we send people to the ends of the earth, 
we are bringing the entire church along with us on that journey because the missions person has this dual role of both taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and the reflexive role of bringing people along with them in that process. Tell me about transition from a missions minister to uh, the vice president of church and global engagement at Mission Increase. You know, as a missions pastor, I had a high view of the faith-based nonprofit. Not all churches necessarily have a high view of the nonprofit. You know, sometimes nonprofits are called the parachurch, which is code word for parasite. You know, you just want our money and our people. And then I sometimes find nonprofit leaders have an ambivalent relationship with the local church. You know, are you just a country club with a cross on it? You know, you're hard to partner with, et cetera. So there's not always a, a high view of the other. But I love the nonprofits. We had members of our church that would start nonprofits. If my job as a missions pastor is to mobilize our people toward significant externally focused ministry, I need good, healthy nonprofit partners. But I discovered that nonprofits are just like people in churches. Some are healthier than others. So I went looking for an organization that we could bring to our city that would help equip our faith-based nonprofit partners to be healthier. I found Mission Increase. We brought them to our Middle Tennessee community, and we are now a biblical learning community of over 200 faith-based nonprofits that get together regularly, whether you're the Crisis Pregnancy Center or the Literacy Program or Young Life, I mean, you name it. That led to a relationship with Mission Increase where they said, could you come join our team and could you help us train churches and nonprofits to have a higher view of each other so that they could have deeper relationships to equip God's people to transform their community and their world? So this was born out of my local church involvement, but also my passion for global missions. How do we bring these two worlds that don't always talk to each other well, and how do we bring them together so that more disciples can be made from the people that are in the pew, but also those out in the community who don't yet know Jesus. So that's what I do with Mission Increase, and I absolutely love it. So you've mentioned several times or alluded to several times this uh, often challenging relationship between the local church and mission or not-for-profit organizations. How do you think the work of Mission Increase is going, at least in your experience there in Middle Tennessee, where you're seeing 200 organizations involved? How's it going, and is it moving the right direction? Well, Colin, great question. So my role with Mission Increase now is a national and global role in how do we increase the number of churches and nonprofits who work better together. Here's an example. Um, seven years ago, Brentwood Baptist Church was the first church to ever financially invest in their local mission increase community. We now have about 30 churches across the country who have said, hey, we have a vested interest to make sure that nonprofits in our city, faith-based nonprofits in our city, are growing and healthy. Why? Well, healthier faith-based nonprofits are going to reach more people for Jesus in our city. 
as a church? Don't we care about that? And then healthier nonprofits are going to give our members better platforms to use their gifts and to share their faith. So it's a lot of fun, Colin, when we get a group of nonprofits in the room and we say, hey, what is your church engagement strategy other than just how do we get money from the church? How do you serve the church? What is your ecclesiology? What is your theology of the church? And what is your place in God's big C church? Oftentimes, they've not wrestled with this. They're pragmatists. They're just trying to feed hungry people and educate kids. So it's beautiful to watch them struggle with this. Then it's fun to get churches in the room. Hey, are uh, are parachurches competition? Or do you see them as valued assets and partners? And are you influencing them in robust disciple making? So it's great to see these come together. I think that COVID, as an accelerated as a magnifier, has illustrated for a lot of nonprofit leaders and pastors the need. We've got to work better together. We've got to understand each other. We have to value each other. And it's fascinating. The missions world has a lot to teach us. So as a global missions guy, Colin, you know, Ralph Winter's 1973 article about modality, sodality. Missions people tend to get this. Most church staff folks and domestic nonprofit leaders, they haven't taken a missions course. They're not familiar with this language and with this rhythm of the church gathered and the church scattered. So if we can bring some good missiology into this convening space, that is going to bless the local church and it's going to bless the nonprofit as well. I love to hear what you're doing, and we're going to link people to what you're doing uh, in our notes today. Uh, finally, how can people who are listening today and hearing what I think is just an incredibly powerful movement of linking uh, local churches and these uh, not-for-profit faith-based ministries, how can people be praying uh, for this movement to continue and to grow? What what things do we need to be praying about? Oh, thank you, Colin. Pray for brokenness in nonprofit leaders for them to fall freshly in love with the local church and pray for a brokenness for church leaders to look at the faith-based nonprofit in their community as an asset and as an ally, not as competition, not a drain, not a threat, but that God has designed both structures, the congregation and the task force, right? That specialized special ops team that's going to go tackle a problem. Both are needed. So pray that both will see that they need each other. Because who's caught in the middle if it's not a healthy relationship? It's the Christian who goes to the church on Sunday, who volunteers at the food bank on Tuesday, and they don't see these worlds cooperating and they're supposed to cooperate. So pray for an acute awareness and burden on both sides to love each other and to lean in and to figure out how can we do synergized disciple making together for our neighbors 
and for the nations. What a powerful concept. Local churches fully engaged with local faith-based nonprofits, and local nonprofits fully trained and mobilized to help build Christ's church. This synergy, as Scott calls it, could literally change a community forever. Hey, we're going to connect you with Scott and his organization in today's podcast notes. Well, it's almost here. The upcoming Missions Today live event. It's a first-of-its-kind event for Missions Today. I'm very excited about it, and it's coming up next Saturday morning, December 10th, as I host the Global Church Forum. This global event will be live around the world and focusing on kingdom entrepreneurial thinking. That's the concept of using curiosity, innovation, and out-of-the-box thinking to create opportunities that can fund and grow the work of the kingdom now and in the years ahead. We'll be joined by difference makers from around the world, Asia, Africa, Australia, the U.S., and more. So what do you need to do? Just go register. It's absolutely free. Visit our website at missionstoday.com. That's missionstoday.com. The Global Church Forum will be streamed live from 8 a.m. to noon Central Time. You can check the website for the time where you are. Again, register now at missionstoday.com. It's absolutely free, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Let me remind you how helpful it is if you'll subscribe to this podcast, rate it, and most importantly, leave a review here on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you as well. You can email me, clambert at missionstoday.com, clambert at missionstoday.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. I'm Colin Lambert. Thanks for listening. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.